But today it is VE Day. The boys The newly crowned queen waves from the belt. Eagle has landed. Apollo 11 has landed. tearing down the Berlin Wall. Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth. The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and today I'm joined by fellow NMA senior investments reporter Nicola Blackburn, as well as John Hawkins, principal business consultant at Bravura Solutions. Listeners might know Bravura is a software provider that powers the advisor platforms or your pension products. Hi, John. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me along. Great to have you. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, my first question is, you know, what is the state of diversity in the industry at the moment? Um, how can we improve this? Yeah, I think as a, a white-sized gender man, it's quite strange that, um, you know, I end up talking about diversity as, as much as I do these days, but I've, I've kind of taken a a real um, a real passion on the fact of, if, of calling out where I think we need to do better. Because if people don't stand out and say, I will need to do better, no one is going to, and no one, and everyone's going to be complacent and not anywhere. Mm. And you know, I have diverse characteristics, uh, neurodiverse, um, LGBT plus, but I can hide those so I can still code switch, and that makes for me I can blend in. Other people can't blend in like I can. Uh, not that I should have to blend in, but it's a privilege I have. And so, when looking at the entire sort of financial services and wealth space, we have to do a lot better. Um, and I say we have to do a lot better because we've kind of made a start. We've 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 kind of acknowledged there's an issue, um, and and we need to decide uh, how we we make it a non-issue for the next generations coming, because we need to move quicker, we need to move faster, and we need to get the benefits that diversity and inclusivity um, bring to businesses and to to thought processes into our organizations much quicker much better and level that playing field so i think we made a start i think we need to do a lot better and i'm slightly worried that with the political environment as it is at the moment the firms who were being brave are now tiptoeing back from that uh, from that courage and i think the i think most firms need to stand their guard and do what's right even when it's not um it's it's slightly less popular or a little bit more difficult than perhaps it was before. Why does it strike you, John, that some firms are maybe stepping back on D&I when previously they, they weren't? Um, what, what are you seeing? A few things. Um, so cost of living is causing uh, firms to restrict budgets and cut back on staff and, and similar. Uh, the 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 political climates in Western world in particular, you've got uh, emergence of far right and to some degree far left um, uh, commentators who are very loud um, and very, uh, how best to put this, we do like a, a proverbial bogeyman um, and whether that's um, 
Well, that's gay, gay asylum seekers um, that get picked on who are the most tiny, tiny percentage of, um, of, of the problem. Or trans people who, um, who are being victimised all over the place at the moment. Or, um, or a whole host of other, uh, of other uh, diverse background people. Or the use of the word woke as a, as a slur. These things are extremely unhelpful and firms need to be able to stand fast and um, and actually say, well, hang on a minute, no, it's the right thing to do. Mm. And in the face of that criticism, and some firms are not standing firm in the face of that criticism. So it starts to say, well, it's lip service only. And that isn't a good place to be. Yeah, you mentioned there that, you know, the economic climate is such at the moment, we've got a cost of living crisis. You know, most of the firms that... Um, that we write about obviously have faced huge headwinds recently because of whether it be COVID, whether it be the sort of um, financial chaos of last year, whether it be so many things. Uh, a lot of listeners might be listening to this and thinking, well, okay, this is all well and good. I'd like my firm to be diverse. I'd like to have more diversity in the industry. But when there are um, economic headwinds such as we're facing, is it the case that DE&I at the moment is possibly one of the first things to get cut? Um, and is this a problem of understanding, you know, um, firms not understanding the urgency of the situation you're describing? I think that's, that's probably correct, is firms perhaps aren't understanding the long-term view uh, and also perhaps not understanding this is something for a, a, a longer term and will impact on them as, a, as an institution. I think we've also got uh, the situation where it is convenient or inconvenient to do things. And in, in this particular situation at the moment with the cost of living, etc., it's an easy cut. It is an easy thing to do. Whether it is the right thing to do in the in the medium to long term, um, is 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 debatable. One of the one of the other areas, of course, in the whole ESG circle is um, the environmental piece. And we can see in particular there are areas in uh, in this industry, where the environmental is is much further down the list of priorities, um, there was the protest outside of the conference. There was that yesterday, picking up that uh, that firms were not taking their their environmental uh, duties appropriate. Thing is, we will get schemes, pension schemes, that is, or investors investing in environmental problematic um, stocks and businesses because they, they turn return. But in the long term, if we start having more climate issues, that is actually going to cost us far more in loss of returns, economic chaos, et cetera, than potentially um, they're getting there. And I think the same is true of social issues such as um, such as diversity and inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, John, I, there was something you said actually on your LinkedIn a little while back um, that I wanted to bring up. Um, you said there was so much unlearning that needs to be done within workplaces and within society to deconstruct decades of unhelpful biases um, that hold us all back, you said. I was wondering throughout your career, what are the kind of common ways that you've seen unhelpful biases rear their head? And I think beyond, you know, beyond that 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 kind of, truth and, and and I think stereotype we have of financial services which is you know long lunches um with with a lot of blokes 
<laughs> uh, I, yes, it, uh, it it annoys me as sometimes my LinkedIn posts uh, portray my my frustration in uh, in in some of what we do. Uh, when talking about unlearning, uh, we really good example is um, someone uh, who remain nameless, but 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 they she will apologise when butting in in front of somebody or having an opinion or wanting to do something. And there's absolutely no need to apologize at all, but she's learned to, to feel inferior when actually she shouldn't. Absolutely. You know, uh, the other thing is of course, where people cut across people, uh, people's conversations in calls or teams meeting, there's not understanding perhaps they are a little bit more timid or, uncomfortable with with teams calls or teams chat or something similar and we always have this loudest is best approach as well so there's there's a number of things here we've got the fact that that certain people feel they need to apologize why do they need to apologize? stop apologizing um and you know just i you know we should call it out when we see people apologizing for no particular good reason and say, will you stop apologizing and help them to, to change their behavior because it puts um, everybody else in a, in a mindset that for some reason they're not worthy for whatever reason. Um, and, and within the sort of calls and things like that, a really simple, simple way is if you are seeing people being overspoken or not included is what we can do as other people on the call is to hand that microphone back to the individual. So it might be, um, Nicola, um, I didn't quite hear what you said there. Could you just um, repeat what you were saying? Or, um, or Nicola, could you just um, could you just let Zach speak because I really need to understand what he's saying. So there's ways you can sort of throw the microphone or throw that throw that power back to that person in a in a quite a friendly but but deliberate way. And so there are things you can learn and unlearn. And uh, and I think that's really important for everybody that's an ally and everybody that, that has friends and family that they see struggling in one way or shape or form, or they want to make things better for their sons and daughters um, going forward, is how, how can we make things different? What behaviours do we need to challenge? So what we often see from um, firms as well is that we see more diverse, more diversity, more women, more people of color lower down the pyramid of the firm. And then as soon as you get up to the top, prime example is probably, um, you know, the amount of women that are CEOs of advice businesses um, is that number is strikingly few compared to the men that are there. Um, why do you think there is this ceiling? Um, and um, yeah, and how can we combat it? Uh, there's two things, I think. One is uh, when people are in terms of selecting their, their leaders, they're looking for, for levels of experience and exposure. And that the, the way we have things at the moment is that people of colour and, uh, and women and uh, you know, different types of, of background people have things to give, but they, they, they can't get past certain levels because they can't get that experience or they can't get that that exposure or they didn't go to the right school or they didn't go to the right university or whatever it might be. They are perfectly competent, perfectly capable um, and they should be celebrated and pushed forward for they are. 
And I think the way to challenge a lot of that is to is to actually sort of there's, a, there's two terms really: mentor and sponsor. And I prefer the sponsor thing. It's you actually pull people into meetings, you pull people into events. Um, the, the event I've been at for the last few days, I very much would like to see them offering um, free tickets for uh, junior or people in the firm who would not usually have a have an opportunity to go to these to these events so they can get that experience they can build their networks they can have the opportunities that um, perhaps others are able to get with, um, with less effort and so I think that's that's sort of where where a lot of that ceiling comes from and the other the other problem we have as well is is because we end up with so few people having those top jobs being being women, people of colour, LGBT plus people, disabled people, etc. We then have a much smaller pool of, of, of talent that then gets gets sort of overpressed. So you end up with sort of, you know, a few names to just sort of colour, um, you know, boards so that they look a little bit more diverse. Whereas that's not really what we want to be doing. We want to be increasing the pool. We want to be increasing the pool of talent and bringing people through. So how, as seniors, you know, you've climbed to the top of your top of your flagpole, you've climbed to the, climbed to the top of your um, top of your company. How do you hand that ladder down to the next generation? How do you get people within your organisation that don't have the same social advantages perhaps you have to be able to write? How do you spot that talent? and nurture that talent and bring that talent to the fore. And that's where I think organizations need to concentrate. And it's how do you fast track people through? How do you get them to get that experience? How do you train them and coach them and sponsor them into meetings? And so you can very easily over time is you can actually pass onto them so they can take more responsibility and therefore be leaders of the future. And so it's a it's something we need to accelerate. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but we need to accelerate how it how it how it changes. Mm-hmm. So I think having, that's the way to do it. So having a kind of diverse, um, you know, exco or a diverse sort of senior representation is 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 half the half the um, the push really. I I think so, but get, you have to get there, and you can't just bring people in to to. To, to provide a wash they have to be people of substance and people with experience otherwise and we can't have tokenism uh, because that undermines the whole push you know oh i'm the token woman or i'm the token um uh i'm you know i'm taking gay on the on the on the board whatever that might be you need to be there because you are you are the right person to be there but what we need to do is make sure that that the workforce has equal access to the top jobs we, we make it so that we level the playing field so that actually the people that can really make a difference to a firm and they can actually probably push firms to the next level have the opportunity to get through those barriers that they already have mm-hmm. in front of them yeah you mentioned tokenism there um, which i think is a really important point because it can mask sort of a lot of um it can it can it can you know be in a be an attempt to change or seen as an attempt to change when actually it's not really helping that much 
with that in mind, what practical steps would you say that firms can do now? What would you be happy with, basically, um, to to improve diversity, particularly at those senior levels that would not be tokenism? It is that sponsorship. Um, to, to talk to, to tokenism um, and give an, give an example, and this isn't in financial services, but it's in a professional um, setting. Uh, it's, it's, it's a professional firm and they... They have uh, a trans woman and uh, a Muslim woman. And they see that as them being diverse. But they sort of sit in the corner and that's kind of the diverse part of the company. And that was that's tokenism. That's totally tokenism. They aren't embraced in the in the organization. Not, you know, they, they they don't have any way to be to be brought through. Equally promoting people just because they are uh a woman, person of color, LGBT plus, whatever, but don't have the the skills that breeds resentment, and it also means that you aren't being um, being honest with, in what you're doing. So, bringing the next generation through, and this is all about succession planning. It's all about talent planning, and if you do it properly, it can be very very successful. Is you you look at your your workforce and you look at them and you can say well okay who are who could be our stars how do we pull people through the organization how do we pull those diverse talents through how do we assess those diverse talents and how do we give them what they need to get to the top you know what is it what is it they um they require is it more access to to meetings more access to shadowing more access to um networking events what is it that that would make them come through is it you know confidence building do they just feel inferior because of society's ways that that they've been brought through how do we get how do we move that on and i think there's a lot of ways of doing it and there's people far more experienced than i in, in in doing this but we have to change our mindset and we have to go it's not good enough we need to work out how we get that breadth of thought how do we bring the generation through and, I, and, and the key thing is here we aren't saying we're taking a piece of pie off of, for example, the the um, straight white men. Not saying that at all. What we're saying is there's more pie for everybody because everybody gets gets the pie, rather than you know a segment of, of traditional population getting the pie. I think one of the key things as well is is, is if we look at um, women in the workplace. Uh, I keep still saying, you know, women's liberation was over 60 years ago, and yet we're still not up at parity. Um, and, and, you know, in a lot of, a lot of spaces, we're very far off from parity. And that is just far too slow. I mean, it's glacial. And um, I would say that with a, a, a group of mainly women at a diversity round table a few months ago, and they're all excellent people, but why are why in those firms are we not seeing that parity level? And we, 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 we investigated that and looked into it. So we need to go quicker, need to go faster. And, uh, and I think we, we need to look at ways of doing that. Mm. Are you seeing, are you kind of seeing evidence come out that firms that are being a bit more active and conscious um, around diversity are actually more successful at attracting and retaining that, that uh, you know, incoming talent? I think so. And I think as we get into newer generations they cannot understand um the the 
baby boomer generation, the Generation X, and, and I fall into the back end of Generation X. Um, and, you know, uh, millennials are all in the workforce now, pretty much. And we're, we're, we've got Generation Z and, um, and uh, Alpha coming through. And they're going to have very, very different expectations of the workforce. And, and dealing with um, our graduates that come through that I, that I talk to, their expectations on coming into a company are far higher than, than previous. And there is much more choice out there. And a lot of people want to choose a company to work for that, that fits with their ethics and fits with their understanding. And people are, you know, younger generations are prepared to move. Uh, and, you know, it is a, a point of choice. And if you are going to attract the right talent, maintain or foster the right talent, you have to be cognizant of this, that, that society and the world is moving on very quickly. You may not understand it, but in some cases, you can either educate yourself to understand it or you find people that can help you understand this and, and make your firm successful for the future. And that's got to be the thing for, for all business leaders and particularly for HR teams. How do we set ourselves up for the next 20 and 30 years of success? And that isn't going to be looking in the back rear view mirror. It's going to be where is society going? What is going to happen? Absolutely. And you, and you spoke about those ethics there. Um, in terms of, you know, the culture, um, the culture that exists in companies, um, and, you know, in financial advice, we often talk about the retail distribution review 10 years ago and how culturally other firms have changed since then. How, um, how do you think cultures of firms have shifted? Um, and how, how, how can they shift further? It depends on the firm. That, and there is, there's hot spots all over the place and there's cold spots all over the place. Uh, but in, in general, you find a lot of firms, uh, bigger firms in particular, will will take a long time to change their cultures. And you will have people that have worked for, since their very young age to, to you know, retirement. And, and they will be as they are and, and they will have to have big programs of change. What you will, what you also have is smaller organisations who are very much sort of founder focused, or um, you know, relatively uh, run by either the founder or the um, small management team, and they will either get the whole point of of this from a succession perspective, or they won't. And I think you will see pockets of good and pockets of bad. And that is why I say, if you don't do it well, you will likely not get the best talent going forward. And you might be okay for now, but as people start to leave, retire, um, or whatever, that's when you will start to have trouble. Speaking of kind of cultural change, um, I think we should talk about the FCA's sort of um, new strategy on diversity. Um, so they've recently, um, you know, made it made it compulsory that firms with over 250 employees report on employee diversity data and that that is uh, ethnicity religion sexual orientation disabilities long-term health um, but they also want those firms to create targets and report on how they're going to meet those targets um i'm curious john how effective do you think do you see this strategy from the regulator being and and what kind of uh, impact could it have
it is a shame it's come to Aaron to do this. Um, and I do wonder if it's really the regulator that should be doing it. Um, it, it I, 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 you know, the purpose of it is great. Totally agree with, with the aims. But looking at in, in particular, yes, it's good to have metrics. And if you, can, if you can measure things, you can make the change. I worry we'll end up with tokenism. And that is not what we need to be doing. We need to be actually putting systemic change in there. And I hope we will come to systemic change rather than um, people doing things because they have to. I would rather we got to it. We're doing things because it's the right thing to do. And that's just the way we should do business. And it's it, it shouldn't come to, to the fact. So no, I, I, I think that's, I think it's a shame we're having to, to go down this route. I think it'd be better if actually we did this across all businesses and not just in financial services. Um, I think it would be far better if the government collected or, or ONS collected better data and actually looked at grades, rankings, salary bandings within those metrics as well. Because what we need to see is that diversity across the whole range of the organisation. And as I say, it's not going to happen overnight and, and it won't happen. But we need to be moving quicker and we need to be moving in a more general direction that we represent our customers and clients. And we aren't going to be able to do that everywhere. You know, if you're headquartered in a place where, you know, part of, part of the country where you know, everybody is, is, is white, for example, you're going to struggle to, to have any representation. And that's, that's kind of fine because, you know, you are representing your clients in that space. Um, but you know, there are other metrics and other diverse peoples you can include and you can make sure you, you, you lift through. So I think it's a shame we're coming to that. I think the, so that it'd be interesting to see the, the metrics that start coming through. I think there'll be some real eye-openers. I really hope people are honest with it because we know statistics can be massaged. And I hope we look at, um, it, uh, we look at cross-sections as well. So we look at, you know, how many you know, lesbian women there are, how many um, disabled men there are who are black, all these sorts of things. How how can we look at that? And then how does that sit across society and, and perhaps even more regionally? Mm. And if we can understand that, we can actually understand the whole piece better. And it's not a case of, yeah, I do, I do worry when it's sort of, you know, it's almost like you've got a strict teacher saying you must do this. And, uh, and I, I think we, it's a shame we've got to that perspective and that point, but it is also really highlights what we, we said earlier on, that progress is not quick enough and firms are not doing it off of their own bat. And, um, yeah. and, and that's got to change, I think. But I think yeah. it's going to be a fairly blunt tool to start with. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just just thinking about the fact that it has come to the point where the regulator has had to has had to step in with it with a strategy about it. I wonder, like, if you think, John, that there is an element of there is still an element of um, reluctance from firms, or or maybe they feel there's a, a, a little bit of a taboo around diversity that's preventing any from um, feeling they can ask questions about it, ask questions about their diversity you know, um, targets and, and is making them a bit reluctant to making them a bit reluctant to embrace it. Do you think that that's a factor at play here too? 
Uh, I, I do. I, I think people are ask, uh, afraid to ask questions. I think there is uh, some, some really bad interpretations of things as well. And I think people need to be more inquisitive. Last year, we had some, or Pride Month, we had Stonewall and Trans in the City do a number of webinars for us and our staff at Bravura. And it was fantastic because in having that, it was very much asking anything, what are the questions you want to ask? And we had staff ask some absolutely fantastic questions and they were members of staff you wouldn't even think would even even be on the the um the webinar let alone asking questions and the amount of really good feedback we had because i didn't understand that i couldn't, couldn't grasp it but now i i have that appreciation so it all comes about from spending some time being human being uh inquisitive as to where are you where have you come from what is this about can you tell me and then at which point you can you can then have more empathy uh with with where people are coming from and if you do that you can then make sure you are cognizant of other people and lastly um from me we spoke a lot we've spoken a lot about what individual firms can do um, and you mentioned that you know regulation has a slight issue in the fact in, in the sense that there are multiple regulators regulating different bits of financial services. Um, but could we expect more from you know the advice regulator, the FCA, um, from their from their standing in implementing measures to improve diversity in firms? Yes, I, I think. I think what it would be good to do is it's all very well putting putting these policies out there. It would actually be really good if they could join up with some organizations who could help with some training, some advice toolkits. You know, Stonewall have done some great stuff for us in the LGBT plus space. City Mental Health Alliance have done some great stuff for us in the, the mental health space. Plenty of other organizations we've spoken to with as part of Bravura. And, you know, we, we won our... Uh, an award earlier this year for our diversity and inclusivity um, teams, which is entirely run by staff. You know, the company gives us the tick and gives us a bit of time to to do it. It's entirely run by staff, entirely voluntary. And we've been able to, it's one of the things in our employee survey that's, that's come back really, really strongly. It's because we've spent time trying to get people to understand. And I think if a regulator is saying these are the policy initiatives, Actually, the regulators should be doing some signposting. They should be actually trying to lead the industry, probably by the nose in some ways, and saying, actually, look, here's some resources. Here's some online training. Here is some webinars. Actually, you know, we're going to put on some um, some learning. And so from there, they sort of, they, they don't just, just, you know, wave that stick around. They actually got a carrot. So just, here's some resources to do it. And I'm quite sure... With a bit of work, they could they could really um, make some difference and and do some education. Um, and I think you know, does it does it is it something you have to really pull into some of the um, some of the training and certifications? You know, if we start to look at that, and it's something we're starting to do with our, our leadership teams. It's actually, leadership teams have to understand the uh, diverse characteristics of of their uh, of their teams. So that they have the the skills and the capabilities, and the understanding 
um, to, to lead their teams properly in the future and, 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 and from now. And I think FCA could do the same. You've been listening to The Advice Show with myself and senior investments reporter Nicola Blackburn. Today, we were joined by principal consultant John Hawkins at Bravura. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New World Advisor or email us at lmateam at citywire.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth. The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk.